0: You are in for a real treat. I recently interviewed Brian Proctor, and we were talking about his book, My Father Knew the Secret. Brian is Bob Proctor's son, Bob Proctor being my mentor and friend. I've spoken about him often, and what's really special about this interview is that we did it in Bob's studio. In fact, the last time I was in that studio was to interview Bob, and we had an an amazing conversation then. What I love about the conversation that I had with Brian is that we get to, get to know a side of Bob that you can only know if you grew up with him, if you were his child. And we get to find out more details about what it was like for Bob even in those early days as he was teaching this material. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did And I look forward to connecting with you. You can connect with us on Instagram. You can also book a call with our team at any time to find out what we have open for enrollment. Enjoy the interview. Let's start with a dedication. This book is dedicated to my father, Bob Proctor. Bob Proctor was an extraordinary father, friend, and business partner. The stars aligned for me on the day I came into this world as his son. My father's passion and dedication to sharing the information that changed his life shaped my life and changed the lives of countless others worldwide is timeless and benefits any person that invests the time into studying it. Bob Proctor was one of the great thinkers of our time. I love you, Dad, and miss you dearly. Chief Performance and Mindset Coach Gina Khan, welcome back. I make it part of my self-image, and the more I rest, the more I make.
1: Gina Khan is an extraordinary woman. She has a very extraordinary understanding of how the mind functions.
0: When was the last time you were in this studio, Brian?
1: Uh, uh, last time I was in the studio would have been in June. In June. Whenever I come into Toronto. Um, this is the place I like to, to do work from. I like to sit in here, I could just, I feel my father in this place.
0: Yeah. yeah. What is it like for you to be in here?
1: It's, uh, it's, it's bittersweet. Um, it feels great, mm-hmm. um, but it's also, you know, a little tough on the herd at the same time. Yeah. But it's, um, it's a special space. He, he loved, loved being in this studio. Um, he would come out here at five in the morning, Uh, and most days he would be phoning me
0: (laughs) (laughs) at five in the morning Uh, Five
1: in the morning Uh, it wasn't unusual for the two of us to be on the phone that early in the day and he just loved this space so for me whenever I'm in the city um, uh, this is this is where I come to
0: oh my gosh and the things that he created in this space you can certainly feel your father's presence in here right now like I feel like he is with us right now here And what I find interesting, Brian, is that your father, Bob, didn't grow up with a strong fatherly presence. Right. But he was a great dad. Mm -hmm. Where do you think he got that from?
1: Uh, He got it from his mother. Um, Yeah. He had a great mother. Um, uh, You know, I called her Nan or Nanny. And um, uh, she was a really, really special lady. And uh, she raised my father... Uh, my uncle and my aunt, um, all on her own uh, with her mother, so my dad's grandmother. And um, she was a very strong woman, um, was very principled, and was a big influence on my dad's life.
0: A huge influence. And what would you say was one of the influences for you from your dad when it came to parenting?
1: Oh, well, that's easy. Yeah? Um, so if I can tell a little story. Please. Um, for me, it was, I go back to some of my earliest memories with dad. Mm-hmm. And he was, when he was home, he was on the road a fair bit um, when he started in the business. You know, he was really a pioneer in the personal development industry. But when he was home, uh, he would be the one that would tuck me into bed at night. And uh, and this is probably one of my earliest memories. So this is what he was like as a parent and this really taught me as a parent. So. He would sit on the bed and I'd get all you know, laid down in bed and he would, he would set his hand on my chest. He always mm-hmm. said that we, we need to have a physical connection. And he would start to talk about all the good things that happened to me that day. Um, all the good things I was doing, the, you know, the great things that were happening. And, and if there was something bad that happened, he would have me look for the good in it. Um, it was really, really good. And, and then at the end of it, he would, he would just have me close my eyes, and he would say, Brian, you are capable of being, doing, or having anything you want in this world. You're gonna have a great sleep, and when you wake up in the morning, you're gonna have a big smile on your face, feeling wonderful. And that's, that's who dad was. And I was fortunate that I was able to do the same thing then with my kids. And it, quite frankly, it builds a really strong self-image. It makes you feel like a... I, with my kids, I, called, I made them superheroes in, in their story. And uh, I, I think it's just a great way of building a strong self-image. And I don't know if this was an experiment that dad started, um, but it was something that he was, really felt connected to and, and, and did relentlessly every time he was home. And it made a big impact on me.
0: You know, it's so fascinating because he really loved big, mm-hmm. right? Like he, and he would show and demonstrate his love. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, at the time when he was coming up you know, masculinity, men in the world. I think this is different for that time. You didn't, I don't, I'm sure your friends did not have fathers that were laying their hands on their chest and telling them how wonderful they are. Right. And how they are capable of anything. Did you know that that was extraordinary at the time?
1: At the time, I did not. No. Um, So at the time, I just thought that was a normal thing. That um, all
0: the dads are doing that. Yeah,
1: but but you're right. Looking back on it, I can't imagine any other fathers doing that. Um, and I remember, you know, like I say, when I started doing it with my kids, it just felt like a natural thing to do. Um, but yes, it's, I never thought it was anything out of the norm uh, when I was young.
0: Your father had such a big heart. and whenever you would be at a training or he would be on stage, inevitably at some point he might bring up Linda. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So Linda was his wife for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. Tell me about when you first met Linda.
1: Oh, Well, there's there's a question I've never been asked before. So Linda is a really special person. Um, And she came into our lives, I was 18 years old. Uh, My sister was 16, my brother was 14. Uh, My parents had been divorced for four years and uh, I guess dad and Linda got kind of serious so uh, they moved up to Toronto. Uh, Dad, uh, my mother was getting married at the time and uh, so I guess my father and mother worked out a a, a deal that we'd live with dad for a while because we Mm -hmm. had lived with my mom for the last four years. And so dad moved up to Toronto, Linda moved with him and basically took us in like we were her own kids right from the start. And the crazy thing is, at the age we were, Linda was only 27 years old. Uh, She's only nine years older than me. And she took us in and treated us like we were her own kids the entire way through. Um, I I, I get why Dad and Linda were a couple uh, when they got together, because she was she was also a very, very special lady and really uh, has just always been kind and loving to us right through our life and now with obviously with grandkids.
0: I mean, that's really remarkable at 27. Yeah. I didn't know myself at 27. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't know how to parent teenagers right. at 27 and come into their life at 27. Did you accept her right away?
1: Right away. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Right away. Really? Yeah. It, it was just a natural thing. Um, she was just warm. She'd moved from the South at the time. She had a real Southern accent. Right. Um, so she was kind of interesting yeah. and, uh, you know, she was just always smiling, happy. Um, it was, uh, It was just easy, it was really easy. And you could tell my father loved her. Um, There was just a chemistry there, it was just, it was natural.
0: Tell me about their love. What did you notice about your father and the way that he loved Linda? Uh,
1: It was just fun, it was fun. Um, I know now at this stage, back in those days, that's when dad was really just starting to build his business. Mm -hmm. And he was building it here in Toronto Um, He didn't want to be on the road the way he used to be. So he was trying to build a business just in the city of Toronto. And it was a grind. Um, I know he had to work really hard and it was not easy. Um, Financially was not a great reward at that time. And um, so, you know, it was tough. But he was committed to be there for for us as kids and to be there with Linda. He didn't want to have to leave her, I I guess, with us at that time. And... um, So watching the two of them through that time, looking back on it now with the eyes I have now Mm -hmm. was really special because it was not an easy time, yet they were always having fun and they were always joking. They had little pet names. They'd call each other. Um, It was just, you could see the love. And, you know, at that time when there wasn't a lot of money around, you know, it was a big thing. We'd go to Swiss Chalet for, uh, you know, for a big family dinner. Uh, And that was our, our big night out. And uh, it was just always happy. It was it was good.
0: I remember when I interviewed um, your dad in this studio, and we he I brought up a story that was in one of the books that the family had put together for him about him being in a hotel in the U.S. and Canada had lost something, or there was something to do with Canada not being that great and he started singing the Canadian national anthem at the top of his lungs. And Linda was mortified (laughs) because it was very early in the morning. And when he told that story, how he laughed about it. And then the interview is done and Linda comes out to see how it, how it was. And he goes, Oh, Hannah reminded me of this story. And then she starts laughing about it. So it feels like there was a lot of lightness. There was. And a lot of laughter. And when you start this book, you start with saying goodbye. Yeah. Why did you choose to start the book with the goodbye?
1: Oof. Um, I just call you Barbara Walters here. <laughs> you know, when, when I, wrote, I started writing the book when Dad was alive. Yeah. And uh, he knew I was writing it, and we had a lot of fun with it. And some of our early morning conversations were around what I was writing in the book. Um, the last six months of his life were tough. He was he was in a lot of pain. He had a lot of issues going on, and I pretty much was here in Toronto almost the entire last six months of his life, um, living at the house here with Dad and Linda, and just helping them. And um, there was just so many special moments during those final few months. And there was, you know, I, I call it, I think I called it the final lesson. Uh, yes. I mean, just some some really touching moments and. It took me three, four months after he passed before I could even start writing again. And the first thing I wrote was the first chapter because it was so fresh and so raw. And when my wife was was editing the book, um, I had two non-negotiables. That chapter had to be the first chapter and the last chapter had to stay the last chapter. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I wanted that as the first chapter was I felt there was a deep emotional connection to understanding how he was at the end of life and how he treated people around him when he was not in great shape. It was so magical. Um, He was just such a kind soul. And and I felt that that needed to be right in the beginning of the book to really, I guess, anchor it more than anything else. You
0: know, Brian, When I read that, and spoiler alert, get your Kleenex for when you start the book. I was like, really, Brian, really? This is what we're doing (laughs) right off the top? Like, we're not going to ease into it. But it made me think, Brian, that your dad, he passed away or, or died the way that he lived.
1: He did, yeah.
0: And that's what comes out in that first chapter. Yeah how he was so interested in what others, what their life was like, mm-hmm. how he could help them. I love the story that you share about the people that were taking him from the hospital, the two young men taking him from the hospital into the ambulance to here, well, you, to his home here. Can yeah. you share that?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, boy, that was a cool experience. Yeah. So we were in the ICU and in the ICU, As you know in Canada, Mm -hmm. um, there's only usually two ways to get out of there, one you're better or two you've passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, dad was not going to get better and he was not going to pass away in the ICU. Um, He was committed, he was getting home. And the doctors didn't want to let him go and he was having none of it. Um, He wanted to make sure he got home because in the ICU you couldn't have visitors. Um, The nurses were really kind, they would let me stay in there with him for hours. But he couldn't see anybody else. Um, So he wanted to get home so that he could see all of his kids, all of his grandkids, close friends, and say goodbye to everybody. That was really, really important to him. And he made it happen. Well, we were sitting there, and I was sitting beside the bed, and we were holding hands. We just held hands for hours. And we were waiting for these two ambulance attendants to come in to get him. And this is dad to a T. I mean, you know, he wasn't doing well. He's on the bed, and these two young guys come walking in the room to take him out. And they were very matter-of-fact. They were just orderlies that were just going to put him on the bed and, and take him to the where they were taken. And before they could get started, Dad just kind of stopped them. And he looked at the first fellow, and he says, What is your name? The fellow says, He looked at him kind of strange. He said, Muhammad. And Dad looked him back, and right in the eyes. And he says, Muhammad, that's a strong name. Boy, I really like that. He looked at the other fellow. He said, What's your name? He said, my name's Turig. And dad looked at him and he said, Tureg, I've never heard that name before. I really love it. And he just, it was like he enveloped them in love. And he was so kind to these two guys. And they looked at him then differently because of how he was being. Yes. And because of that, they took extra care with him. And when they put him on the stretcher, they were really kind and really gentle. And it was just such a special moment. Well, I mean, that in itself was special, Hannah. Mm -hmm. But the next thing that he did, which just completely blew me away as he was being willed out of the room, he put his arms up in the air and he goes, Muhammad, Tureg, take me home, boys. And it was just, it was just, it was a moment I'll never, ever forget.
0: Brings tears to your eyes now. It does. Yeah.
1: And I'm glad I was there for it. I witnessed some pretty amazing things.
0: Your dad was such a big presence, Brian, and you said that you're glad that you were there for it, that you've witnessed pretty amazing things throughout his whole life, through, because you guys were like this. Yeah. You were really close. Did you ever feel that you were in his shadow?
1: Never did. No. 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 Um, he was really good that way. He never, he would never allow that to happen. He wouldn't, starts. would he? No, he wouldn't. Um, and he let me shine in my own way and when we worked together I was involved in the marketing end of things and that's what I really enjoyed and he always supported me in whatever way I wanted. he, he would have loved to have had me up on the stage speaking and all that mm-hmm. But it really wasn't my thing at that time mm-hmm. and um, I just loved being the support I loved being able to get his message out to the world in unique ways um, and he just always supported me in however I could help and, and get his word out there. So I never felt like I was in the shadow.
0: And I mean, that was one of his gifts. He made you feel like you were the most important person. Did. And I guess that was whether you were a client, you know, a, a passerby, or, you know, the ambulance attendant, right. or you were his son. Right. Yeah. You, If you were in front of him, you were the most important person. Always, always. I, at talking about at be, talking about Bob's events, one of the things that always struck me was how his teachings and the way that he taught transcended religion, Mm -hmm. faiths. Like you walked into his room, it was like walking into the United Nations. There were people from every part of the world, all different religions, and people that didn't have a faith or believe in anything in particular. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that so many people were so touched by the way that he taught specifically. What did he have?
1: I think what he had, he had this magical way of touching you as a person. Mm. He knew how to reach into your heart and speak to who you were. It didn't matter what religion, what country you're from, if you were male, female, or what. It, it made no difference um, to him. He spoke to who you were. And he made you see what you were capable of. And I think there's not enough people in the world that do that. And when you meet somebody that really shines on you and shows you how much bigger you can be in this world, you're going to be drawn to that person. Mm -hmm. That was my father. Um, He had a way of, of showing people what they were truly capable of. And who wouldn't love that?
0: Well, and here's the thing. He loved it. He was so curious about people and just wanted to help people that probably in some ways he'd be like, stop talking about (laughs) me. Like, you know, Brian, let's talk about you. Hannah, talk about you. Like he was, he loved shining the spotlight on other people. Right. And he really wanted to help them. It was so genuine and you could feel it. And it just, it made everybody in the room, it brought everyone together. He would bring everybody to that vibratory state of feeling special, and he could even be talking to someone else, but it was like he was talking to you.
1: Right. Yeah, it was It was always interesting. He would always say that, uh, you know, he says, I remember him saying from the stage, he says, you know, I know you like me and everything, but you don't know anything about me because I don't talk about myself, he, he would say. He's I'm always talking to you about you. And that's who he was. Um, he just always shined the spotlight on whoever he was speaking to mm-hmm. at the time.
0: We talked about how Bob loved love mm-hmm. itself, like he just had the biggest heart. And I know what a kick he would get out of seeing others experience experiencing things. Mm-hmm. So for example, I remember when he phoned me on my birthday and it was one of the last conversations that we had and he's like, so Hina, where are you? And I'm like, Bob, I'm in a suite at the Ritz. Paul's gonna come by. I'm about to go and meet with a private client. And he's like, isn't life good? Yeah. And I was like, yes. And he got such a kick out of me treating myself well and enjoying this, enjoying these things. I remember um, being on the private plane with Bob and Bob just loved it. He just loved sharing what he had Mm -hmm. with others. And he got a kick of other people having their first moments like on a private plane or flying first class or being in suites. And I think the way that he lived, he really gave us permission to do that, yeah. to really have the best in life. And I think what he taught me was just that generosity that by you giving, by you doing what you want and you having more, other people have increased just by being in proximity to you. Right.
1: It was, it was always important to him uh, to be generous, to, yeah. to give, to do things for other people. And it was his way of showing you that you were worthy of having more. Yes. You know, that's, that's really what it was.
0: Oh my gosh. That's what it was. And that's why he was not easy. (laughs) Like he would, he would give you tasks Mm -hmm. to grow you. Mm -hmm. And I remember this one time, Brian, I had had like my best, uh, like a weekend. Like I was like. And I phoned Bob and I was like, Bob, well, I texted him. I was like, Bob, I just did a six-figure weekend and, um, or I'm, and I'm having my best month. And he was like, call me. So I called him and I think he's going to say, Hina, congratulations. <laughs> it's a Friday. Enjoy yourself. Put your feet up. Be with the kids. No. He's like, the month's not done yet and i was like oh why (laughs) why did i do that i should have called him on june 1st when the month was done he's like you got two days what are you gonna do and there was always more but he was like and he loved it he loved stretching you like you think you you think you're done you're not done
1: you know that was a cool thing about him when i was younger that used to drive me crazy
0: i can imagine Um,
1: i'd reach a goal and i'm wanting praise for hitting this goal yeah and i'm thinking he's going to praise me and the first thing he'd, he'd look me in the eyes and he'd say, what's next, Brian? What's next? He never harped on the, the success. He was always, what's next? What's next? And I realized a while back that, that was my ego that just wanted the praise. Mm. And now I look at it as like, man, he just wanted me to keep growing. And that was the same with you. Yeah. He knew that you you hit that. Now, what more are you capable of? And it was it was a great thing the way he was like that.
0: And you know, Brian, as you say that, I think... That's how he lived, that's why he never retired. He made a decision not to participate in retirement. Right, Like that was a decision. And I remember him saying that he decided that that wasn't gonna be a paradigm he was going to have that at a certain age he would have to retire. And he surrounded himself by young, with young people even in his business, in his organization because that was the energy he wanted to be around. Those that are thinking about what's next, what's next, not not having anything to do when you get up. Right. And he was like that right to the end. He
1: was right to the end. I mean, he was, even when when we got him back home, he would still be reading a book, still studying. Oh, my even God. when he knew he was going, it was so important to him. He he just, he was so committed to what he taught and what he was doing um, that he lived that right to the end of his life. He really did.
0: He lived it. Like, it was who he was.
1: It was his truth. Yes. And And he wanted to... Deliver that to the world. He just he just wanted to deliver that to the world and he was never going to stop Because it was it was important to him for sure um, And that's who he was But for him the satisfaction of watching people like yourself. Yeah um, And what you were able to accomplish and what you continue to do That's what made him happy boy. He loved that. That was his fuel Um, So for him just just seeing people that were rising and being more successful that was, that's what kept him going, and that's what drove him right to, right to the very end.
0: As you say that, it makes me think of something that Gina said. Gina, who was with him, his right-hand person, for 30-plus years, and she said, Bob was always very congruent. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people are like, what's he really like? Right. Because they think there's a different Bob that in different scenarios. But I never saw that. It was congruent, Would, what about you? Would you say there was a different Bob in different no. scenarios? No. no.
1: It, you know, people ask me that and, and, and I'll, I'll be the first to say, who he was on stage and how he treated people, that's what he was in private life as well. Yeah. Um, he was a giver, um, he just wanted to give. It, the thing that touched me I think the most was after he passed away, we did an online memorial and there was, it was like over 100,000 people in this thing, which that in, in itself was amazing. Um, but for me, reading all the comments afterwards, mm. that was, it helped me. Um, and the comments were overwhelmingly about how much he gave, what he was doing in the world. You know, he was, he was forever giving money to help organizations, help different people. He would do anything and everything for anybody that came to him and approached him. Um, it was all about service for him. And um, that's who he was. And that's who he was in, in private life.
0: You know, that reminded me of another story Gina had shared of when he was in the hospital mm-hmm. towards the end and there was some machine or something and there's something going on with it and a nurse was struggling with it. And, and she was like, yeah, you know, we've got to get some new ones. And he was like, well, how much are they? And she said, mm-hmm. and he's like, Gina, you know, let's see what we can do and get them a new machine. Right,
1: yeah, he, he, it, and that was a six figure deal that he had to get this new machine for a, a clinic of some sort um, that they didn't have the funds to get it. And so dad made sure they got one. That's who he was. And and he would do that on the spur of the moment at any time, believe me. Yeah,
0: yeah. yes. He was so connected to his intuition too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember he would talk about how, if you don't have a spiritual component into your in your business, you're missing it. Right. Spirituality was very important to him would you say he was religious?
1: So here's the interesting thing. I, I get asked that a lot. Yeah. And Dad studied virtually all of the religions. Yes. In
0: fact, probably on here we'll find the Quran and everything else because I've seen it in his office. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's it's really interesting that way. He was not religious. Yeah. He was what I would call spiritual, and he felt that yes, there was an energy bigger than us. Um, some people call it God, some people call it universe. You know, he didn't put a name to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just felt that there is an energy that's more than we are. And we can channel that, it flows to and through us. And yeah. that's, that's how he lived. And that, that's what he thought. Um, and, and he really lived that way. But th- it was interesting because he did study all of the religions. Yes. So he wasn't affixed to one way of looking at something. He really took the whole broad spectrum
0: because and applied that to his life. he was forever a student. Yes. You know what I really, um, I'll never forget this, Brian. So those of us that reached a certain level in the company had mm-hmm. the opportunity to spend some um, time with him in a smaller group mm-hmm. and Price Pritchett yep. was also speaking. So it was Bob and Price that were speaking to this group and I had the um, opportunity to be there. And as Price Pritchett is talking, Bob is taking notes. Right. He's not like I've been in this, you know, longer than you have. I know. He was always studying. Always felt like there was something to learn.
1: Always. You know, he never thought he was it.
0: No. Um,
1: he was willing to learn from anybody and anything. Um, he was oh, I, he was like a child that way. Yeah. Just forever. He and he was childlike. You know, he had that yeah. certain magic, that twinkle in the eye. You know. And, and yes, he was always learning from whoever he could.
0: He was childlike. I remember at a training, somebody had brought in probably one of the young, young fellas on the crew, <laughs> not looking at anybody in particular, but he had, they brought in like a, um, a hoverboard. Uh-huh. He went on it <laughs> and he's like zipping around and I'm, and Gina's like, you know, like, oh God, you know, is this a good idea? Yeah. But he, he never stopped wanting to try things, that curiosity, yeah. Yeah. oh my goodness.
1: I I remember a time we were in Hawaii doing a a meeting for 1% Club, which was a very high-end thing. And gosh, he would have been in his 80s. And uh, he got on a bicycle and was riding the bicycle all around the room. It was just, it was great to watch. He just, he was young at heart. He had a lot of fun. A lot of fun.
0: He was young at heart. And obviously you and Bob were very, very close. And I remember when it was revealed that you and Corey were together. Mm -hmm. And he had said that for him as a father, it was very comforting Mm -hmm. to know that his son had found his love and he loved Corey so much. And I know when you and Corey got married and had the wedding, you really thought it'll just be the two of you and the kids. Right. Really wanted to keep it intimate and small. And Bob did not accept that. (laughs) And I remember Corey sharing the story of here she is. So Bob's there. And Corey's walking down the aisle. And when she sees you, she just starts to cry. And as she describes it, it wasn't like on TV, like just a lovely little, you know, like tear running down the face. She said like she was an ugly cry. Like she just couldn't keep it together. And Bob is noticing her and Bob's just like, relax, (laughs) calm down, relax. What was it like for you to have Bob there?
1: It was actually great. I'm so glad he was there. Um, So Corey and I got married in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And we're both morning people so we wanted to get married at sunrise. Uh, We thought that'd be kind of fun. Um, I don't know if the kids thought that was great. Um, So we had you know uh, we each have two children and uh, so all the kids were there and their significant others and uh, we had this morning ceremony. Well dad had to be there. Um, So we're still explaining that one to my mother and Corey's mother but uh, anyways dad was there and he actually took part in the ceremony which was kind of cool.
0: Okay, wait, I have a question, Brian. Mm -hmm. When did you know that your dad was coming? Uh,
1: We knew, well, it was, I guess it was probably a couple weeks before.
0: Okay, so he just, and what did he say to you?
1: He just basically said he was going to be there. Um, (laughs) And and the funniest part was he showed up, and he showed up ready to do the ceremony.
0: Oh, so he was going to take an
1: active part. wanted to take an active part, And, and we had... Uh, the uh, officiant, I guess is probably a better word, uh, the fellow that came to marry us that could legally marry us, he was there. And dad wanted to speak and the officiant was like, no, you can't, I, I, I'm doing this. And, and they, it, it was like, Corey and I were both looking at each other, what are we going to do now? And anyway, they worked it out. So they did a combination of both dad and this fella. Wow. And it turned out great. Um, and I'm so glad it worked out that way because it it kind of made it special. And like you say, Dad loves Corey, or he loved Corey. And and so it was a special moment. It was special that he was there. And it was great that he was able to perform part of the ceremony. And, and like you say, when Corey came down, she had a lot of tears flowing. And it was like an overdrive. And Dad was wearing this. Casual white shirt, white pants, white shoes, and he was just like, whew, you know, just <laughs> calm down, just relax, and and uh, you know, he typical Bob Proctor fashion, he took control of the situation, you know. But it was it was good, it was fun. Oh
0: my gosh, you know, sometimes we don't know at the time how those memories will be even more meaningful right. just years later. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it was a good thing, it was a really good thing. The, the, the great part about it all is, like you say, how much he loved Corey. And, you know, dad was protective of me mm-hmm. in a way because I'm a son and I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I was 55 before Corey and I got together. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I had not figured it out yet. It took me a while. Yeah. And um, he was just so happy when the two of us got together. It was like he knew something about Corey that I didn't even know. And he just knew that she was the, uh, she was the right woman for me. And it's, it's been spectacular.
0: I also want to touch on your father's capacity to forgive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, to build a business like he has built. Mm-hmm. To have people come and go in the business. Right. I think he has an extraordinary capacity to forgive. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I remember one of the chapters in the book is all around forgiveness and um, I can remember even where I was sitting. Uh, This was, I was writing that one when he was alive and I can remember where I was sitting in Florida at the time, Mm -hmm. talking to him on the phone and uh, talking to him about forgiveness. And He really shined a light on it for me. He said, forgiveness is not for letting the other person off the hook. Mm -hmm. He says, you don't need to forget. But he says, forgiveness is letting go of the ill feelings and what you're harboring in your heart so you can be free. Mm -hmm. He says, it's not about forgetting. It's it's about forgiving and freeing yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, why he had such a great capacity for it. He says, if somebody crossed him, he would never do business with them again. Yeah. And they were just gone. They were out of his life. Um, and he just wished them well and that was it. He forgave, but he forgave for himself. Um, and that was, it was really a really good thing. And, and, and I've gone through things in my life that, uh, you know, have not been easy where people have done things that have hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think because of him, I've been able to freely forgive so much easier than a lot of people can. And the interesting part is that I realized in writing the book, was there were certain things that I was harboring even on myself for things that I had done that I wasn't happy with myself or I, hanging into things for longer than I should have. And, and I, was, I can remember mentally beating myself up, thinking, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. And so part of that conversation with that, I realized I need to forgive myself too. And it's that releasing, mm-hmm. releasing. You know, he always said we cannot change the time we got out of bed this morning. I loved yeah. it when he said say that. Yeah. He says, what's happened in the past has happened in the past. And he says, you can't change it, good or bad. So take the good from it and release the bad
0: mm-hmm. and just
1: let it go. It's important, uh, you know.
0: And I think that's why he got so much done. Right. Because he wasn't harboring resentment. Mm-hmm. He wasn't harboring ill feelings. If, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think it probably came to a point where he would not be able to tolerate it. Right. Feeling bad, yeah. feeling crummy. Um, many times when Bob was on stage, he would mention a contemporary and, be, and then say, God bless them, they're gone now. Because, <laughs> you know, God bless Bob. He had a beautiful, long life. God bless them, they're gone now. Yeah. And he would often say, let the dead bury the dead. Right. What did he mean by that?
1: He would just mean that whatever ill, whatever, you know, bad thing was, let it bury itself. Don't let right. it bury you. That's really... How, how I take how right. we rent it. Um, he says, because we can create these negative self loops in our yeah. head and, and you can call them a block, you can call it whatever you want, where you can just keep looping this negative thing in your head and it can become part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And he was always like, you just don't wanna do that. We've all had bad things happen to us, mm-hmm. some worse than others for sure, but we can't change what's happened. However, we can be a better version of ourselves today and live freely now in where we are. And that's, that's how he lived. And that's what you know, he meant for it. It's just, let the dead bury the dead. If it's happened and it was bad, let it bury itself. Let it be gone. Be free to enjoy the best life you can make for yourself right now. Because you can't change that. All you have control over is the right here, right now. So let it go and, and be who you, who you can truly be. You know?
0: And on that note of living the best life that you can live now, how do you think Bob would want us to be living now? What would he want us to be focused on when so many people are missing him so much yeah. and so sad? And, I mean, I know it was 87, but it felt like he was just getting started all yeah. the time. Yeah. And you've received letters and emails of, his, of the impact and people that are grieving. Right what would he say, do you think, about grieving him?
1: I well, I can tell you what he'd say because he told me not to grieve, not mm. to you know don't be sad um, that he's gone. be happy that he was here. Um, and hoof, uh, you know I'll be the first to say it's not easy i I, I am grieving still. Um, I still have my moments um, but I'm glad he was here and I'm glad I got to share this life with him you know I I I look at, I I think I live a charmed life because I had Bob Proctor as a father. I really do. And anybody else that followed my father, he would want you to live your best life. And he would be grateful that you learned whatever you learned from him. And he would want you to just keep going on and doing more, being better. Uh, You know, what what I see in the beginning of the book and at the end of the book, it really relates to my father, is what would happen in in your life If you you worked at being the best version of you every single day, Mm -hmm. boy, our life would be incredible if we just kept doing that every single day. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'm trying to live my life now as best I can. And that is in honor of him. And that's what he would love. He would love for us to be the best version of us every day because of what we learn from him. Mm
0: -hmm. When do you feel him the most? Uh,
1: Well, I feel him a lot in here, for sure. Um, This is probably one of the one of the places the most, I've got a couple of places at home that mm-hmm. I uh, I talk to him. You know that said to me, and it's that you'll, you know in the first chapter of the book he he said to me, Brian, keep talking to me. Yes, keep asking me questions even after I'm gone, and you'll hear the answer. It'll be in your intuition, whatever it may be, and um, and I do. I, I talk to him every day. Um, my wife Corey, she uh, she'll look at me sometimes. She said, "You were talking to your dad, weren't you?" And I'd say, "Yeah." Um, so you know, I still talk to him, and uh, and I just listen. I let my intuition be his voice, whether it is or isn't. I don't think it really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I, I feel him all the time, in every place and everywhere. Um, I certainly see him in my kids, um, and I see it in the way my kids are. Um, so I, you know, I feel him all the time.
0: I want to thank you, Brian, for writing this book, but not only writing it, releasing it as well, so that we can all have it, and it's now in soon to be in four languages. Mm -hmm. So this is your dad continuing through you, through your work as you talk about it. And what I love about this book is that you can just pick it up and open it up and you'll be where you need to be. You'll be reading what you need to read and hear at that moment. And that's what it was like with your dad, right? Like you could just call him and. At, at that moment he would give to you what you needed to hear. That's right. In that moment. Yeah. So what is next for you, Brian?
1: Well, right now it's just I just want to get this book out in the world in a really big way. Yeah. Um, I feel it's important. Um, it was uh, it was good for my heart to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it it shows the world who Bob Proctor was from a side that they would never experience. Yes. From the side of his son. Um, and somebody who worked with him for years and years and years. Um, So it's my way of honoring who Bob Proctor was. Um, I often say that this book is not about me, it's about my father. And um, it shines a a light on him and in a way that you would never know. So it's important to me to keep getting that message out. Um, I'll probably create some program around it and and, and continue on, Um, but it's just important to get this message out. So that's, my next is I'm in it right now. Um, You know what you say, we talked earlier about when you hit an accomplishment, Yes. Um, so for me right now I have big goals with this book Mm -hmm. and I want to get it in as many hands as possible because I know it can help people, I just know it. Um, So that's it, so I'm not where I want to be with it yet, Mm -hmm. so my whole focus has been on that and uh, it's important to me.
0: It's a phenomenal book and we're going to have the link in the description for you to go and grab your copy. Brian. Oh, thank you
1: so much. Thank this you, was
0: Anna. so special to be with you and to be in your father's studio in his office.
1: It thank has you. been wonderful to have you here and doing this. Thank you. Thank you.